You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show with Gavin Walker coming right up, right now. Thank you. 
We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show. And, of course, it's uh, March the 17th, St. Paddy's Day, really. I think everyone celebrated over the weekend and is probably still recovering. But, uh, anyway, i just like to wish you and all everybody out there a very happy St. Patrick's Day. and hope you had a good time over the weekend and enjoyed yourselves. And if you're continuing to enjoy yourself, do it. <laughs> My name's Gavin Walker, and for the next uh, three hours, uh, some of the very best in jazz music, as you can gather. By the name of the show, it's called Simply The Jazz Show. And we're here every Monday night with some of the very best of that style of music. So we hope that you can stay around and enjoy what we have to offer. We, um, we're going to be listening to some music later on by Charles Mingus. Uh, we're also going to um, do a little bit of a repeat of something that didn't quite work last week. And uh, a couple more vignettes from the great um, raconteur, uh, what can you say, monologist, uh, Richard Lord Buckley. And uh, we had to truncate one very special and very well-known one, too, last week. And uh, we hope that uh, it will not be truncated this week. We're going to hear that in the first hour of the show, plus some other things. Our jazz feature tonight, which is always uh, at 11 o'clock or shortly thereafter, is a piano player that really needs to be recognized as one of the greatest of all jazz piano players. And unfortunately, he's not. And I think um, those of you that uh, attended the cellar many times and heard the great Harold Mayburn that uh, Corey brought in. Harold Mayburn uh, was from Memphis, and our jazz feature artist was born in Memphis as well. And if you want to get a lecture on who this man is and what he has done and how great he is, all you have to do is say two words uh, to Harold Bainbird. After you introduce yourself politely, of course, and just look at him in the eye, and he'll be looking at you, and all you have to say is Phineas Newborn. That's it. And he will tell you everything about this man and how great a musician he was. Phineas Newborn Jr., in my estimation, is one of the greatest of all uh, contemporary jazz pianists. He's on the same level as Oscar Peterson, um, Art Tatum, yes, Bud Powell. Um, He was influenced by all those, but of course he created his own style and uh, Phineas, of course, is just worshipped by every piano player on the, on the planet. He had a very unhappy life. Um, he was uh, suffered. Um, it really began in the in the early '60s after he moved to Los Angeles, and it was a, a fairly uh, comfortable period in his life after leaving the tensions and stuff in New York City. Moved out to L.A. and um, developed uh, mental breakdowns, and they increased over the years. And uh, it was a rather sad demise, and Phineas was sort of on the scene sometimes, recording, playing beautifully, and then he'd uh, he'd have to go home to Memphis to um, 
being taken care of by his family. And, of course, the medical bills were piling up and all this kind of stuff because it is America. And uh, sad to say, um, Phidias died in, in 1989. I had the pleasure of seeing him uh, a couple of years before he died um, in Montreal in 1987. And it was a rather disjointed uh, solo concert that he played, but he was obviously um, fairly highly medicated, and he had aged so much. And I did chat with him, and uh, I think he remembered me, because I met him here uh, when he was quite healthy uh, in Vancouver in 1960, when Ernie King brought him into the uh, Hastings Street Club, the Harlem Nocturne, uh, he brought Phineas's trio in for a week. And, of course, we all enjoyed the company and the music of Phineas Newborn. And uh, he also gave a concert, too. Those that didn't get down to the Harlem Nocturne, uh, some promoter arranged for Phineas to play a concert at the Old Camby Theater, which was at Broadway in Camby, where the Royal Bank is now and all kinds of other stuff. And uh, Phineas played a concert, a Sunday concert there. And, of course, the place was packed and everybody enjoyed it. And he also paid a couple of visits to the original cellar and sat in with local musicians. And uh, at the time, he was uh, quite healthy and, and uh, young and that sort of thing. And I had a chance to, uh, to meet him then. But uh, the 1987 concert in Montreal was a rather sad occasion. Two years later, he was gone. And uh, we're going to present his music this evening. And a great recording session that took place in November of 1961 in Los Angeles. A healthy Phineas Newborn uh, playing with Cannonball Adderley's rhythm section. Sam Jones on bass and Lewis Hayes on drums. And that's going to be our jazz feature tonight. They did uh, something like uh, eight um, pieces that afternoon, and it's Phineas Newborn at his very best. Every characteristic of his piano playing is will be evident tonight on the jazz feature, and you'll hear what a magnificent musician he was. I considered him a genius, and so did many, many people, including Harold Mayburn. And you're not going to argue with Harold Mayburn. <laughs> he knows. All right, so that's our jazz feature. We're going to do a little tribute to St. Patty's Day to start the show. And we're going to start with a little fella by the name of Johnny Griffin, the little giant, one of the greatest tenor saxophonists that ever lived. Johnny Griffin was all of five foot four, so he was kind of like a, a little African-American leprechaun. <laughs> and he recorded an album called The Carry Dancers and Other Swinging Folk. For Riverside Records, uh, Orrin Keep News gave Johnny, loved Johnny, and, and offered him a lot of kind of interesting recording opportunities. And uh, this album is, is rare, but it's really interesting that uh, Griffin picked a whole bunch of uh, kind of folk music tunes to play. So we're just going to hear one from this album. Uh, as a matter of fact, the title track. And that's going to be our first tribute to St. Patty's Day. Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone with Barry Harris on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and Ben Riley on drums are going to play the Carey Dancers. There you go. You can't get more Irish than that. And then we're going to follow that with Bill Evans, the great Bill Evans on piano, playing, of course, 
the beautiful Irish ode that everyone knows, a wonderful version of Danny Boy, sometimes known as the Londonderry Air. And we're going to end uh, our little tribute to St. Paddy's Day with a piece by Miles Davis. really doesn't have anything to do with St. Patrick's Day, but this is Miles Davis uh, back in 1955 with a quartet with Red Garland at piano, Oscar Pettiford on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. It's a slow blues, and Miles called it Green Haze. And, of course, that may just be what people are kind of looking at now after celebrating St. Paddy's Day. So we're going to begin with Johnny Griffin and the Kerry Dancers.
We heard three tunes dedicated to St. Patty's Day. The first was by tenor saxophonist Johnny Griffin, the Little Giant, with uh, Barry Harris on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and Ben Riley on drums. And from the album The Carry Dancers and Other Swinging Folk, we heard The Carry Dancers, which is the title track of the album, and played by joyously by the little uh, African-American leprechaun, Johnny Griffin. And the second piece of music was a very touching uh, version of, of course, the favorite Danny Boy. And that was played by Bill Evans on piano, Marty Budwig on bass, and some very, very subtle drumming by Shelley Mann from a beautiful album called Empathy, Bill Evans. And finally, Miles Davis from a 1955 recording session called The Musings of Miles. It's a quartet date with um, a gentleman who was going to be, a couple of gentlemen who were going to be regulars in his band, pianist Red Garland, and of course drummer Philly Joe Jones. And the bassist, of course, was one of the greatest, Oscar Pettiford. And of course, Mr. Davis himself on trumpet. And as I said, maybe... That might be the feeling after too much green beer, too much St. Paddy's Day. The tune was called Green Haze. So there you go. Miles Davis. Well, last week we attempted, i uh, just like to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. We live stream. And uh, last week we... Uh, Cut through a couple of um, vignettes by Lord Buckley, the legendary uh, raconteur. You can't really categorize Lord Buckley as a comedian. He, he was just something else. Um, Lord Buckley died in 1960, sad to say, and uh, they had a great benefit for him in New York, and every jazz musician in town was either playing or in attendance, because Buckley, of course, uh, most of his closest friends were uh, jazz musicians, because Buckley performed in uh, small, intimate jazz clubs, where his uh, kind of his humor and his ideas were, I guess, more appreciated. Um, Lord Buckley never did get on television. Uh, his stuff was really too far out for, for um, uh, television at the time, which... Uh, was pretty conservative uh, back in the 50s. But um, anyway, we we uh, attempted uh, last week to play one of his most famous uh, pieces, and we're going to get to that this evening, and we hope uh, we can get through the whole um, episode. So uh, I'm Rather than repeat uh, the other two um, that we played last week, I'm going to give you a couple uh, of more short vignettes before we get into the feature one. So we take you back to Lincoln's birthday, February 12th, 1959, at the Ivor Theater in Hollywood. And uh, this is a live performance by uh, Lord Buckley. And we're going to open with a little bit called The Horse's Mouth, where he talks about a character. Uh, it's a great book, of course. Uh, everybody should read it. Um, but it's a, the, the, the chief character in the book is a, is a reprobate named Gully Jimson. And um, so 
uh, Lord Buckley is going to wax eloquent about Gully Jimson for uh, about a minute and a half. And uh, then we're going to go into another little bit, uh, obviously, about uh, William Shakespeare, called Willie the Shake. And then we're going to go to the feature, which is one of his most famous bits, uh, called The Naz. And this is the one we didn't get through last week. Um, And, of course, I know we'll get through it this week. So here, then, is the inimitable and wonderful. He usually only makes one appearance a year on our Christmas show, but uh, I thought we'd bring him to the fore um, for this show, as well as last week's, too. So here's Lord Buckley. Reminded me, there's a very beautiful line right at the end of the book of the horse's mouth. The gully Jimson lays the line. Joyce carries beautiful, beautiful, profound, informative, rich, luscious, juicy with information. The last words in the book, and when, when he falls off this sign and they carry him in and he's dying, but he's swinging, he's leaping, he's jumping, he's laying it down, you know. He's, he's carrying it, he's carrying it on. And they take him to the hospital, and it's a Catholic hospital, and they have nuns in there, you see. So he's still swinging, man. He's, <laughs> he's going out, but he's going out crazy. See? <laughs> so the nun's a little shook up. She says to him, the nun says, Mr. Jimson, at a very serious time like this, don't you think that you should laugh a little less and pray a little more? And he looked at her and he said, It's the same thing, madam, and flipped out. <laughs> well, to read that beautiful book, it's God's. When you stop to think about laughter, it truly is religious. It gives off vibrations from the subconscious. It swings, it's, it's sound from the subconscious. When the person is laughing, he's illuminated. He's illuminated in the full beauty of a human being. And the, and the womanhood, when she's happy and laughing, is mother magnet. And she's. <laughs> You know, this is after many times when you find yourself laughing, you say, well, I wish John could be here. He loved, he loved it. <laughs> so you're thinking love, you're, you're vibrating love. It's a, it's a prayer. It's a beautiful thing. Lord's ladies of the Royal Court, we should like to salute William Shakespeare. In this language, he's called Willie the Shake. <laughs> you know why they called him Willie the Shake? Because he shook everybody. <laughs> They gave him a nickel's worth of ink and five cents worth of paper. He sat down, rolled up such a breeze. That's all there was, Jack. There was no more. That's all she wrote. Everybody got all. Got so many studs arguing about fine about who he was, they blew his right name. <laughs> Understand what I mean? Here's a stud that's so powerful and so great to dig him up every six months. He had that's him, put him back. He's all right. Too hard a stud. And you remember when Mark was swinging with Cleo on the Nile, cruising under that crazy moon with his wild, crazy Cleo. Uh, hello, friends. And Caesar got all goofed up and swung in at her room and got in that house and they sliced him all down. You know? Naturally, the Roman Senate was jumping solid all over the place, so Mark had to cool it. So he fell in on him, he says. Hipsters, flip 
hamsters and finger popping daddies. Knock me your lobes. I came here to lay Caesar out. Not to hip you to him. The bad jazz that a cat blows wails long after. He's cut out. The groovy, the groovy is often stashed with a flame. So don't put Caesar down. Now look at all you cats and kitties out there whipping and wailing and jumping up and down and sucking up all that juice and patting each other on the back and hipping each other who the greatest cat in the world is. <laughs> Mr. Malenkoff, Mr. Talenkoff, Mr. Eisenhower, Mr. Woosenweezer, Mr. Wisenweezer, Mr. Woodhill, Mr. Beechill, and Mr. Churchill, and all them hills gonna get you straight. If they can't get you straight, then no cat that knows a cat will straighten you. But I'm going to put a cat on you was the coolest, grooviest, sweetest, wailingest, strongest, swingingest cat that ever stomped on this jumping green sphere and the colors your cat, Denise. He was a carpenter kitty. Now, the Naz was a kind of a cat that came on so cool and so groovy and so with it that when he laid it down, well, it stayed there. <laughs> now, see, all the rest of us said, man, look at that cat wheel. He's wheeling up a storm up there. Hey, he's he, he laying it down right. He know, get off my back, Jack. What's the matter with you? I'm trying to hear what the cat's putting down. They're pushing the Naz to dig his miracle lick. And the Naz say... what I'm going to do. I'm going to take two, four, six, eight of you cats, but I'm going to take all 12 of you studs and straighten you all at the same time. Say, so you cats look like you pretty hip. You say, you buddy with me. So the Naz and his buddies was goofing off down the boulevard one day, and they run into a little cat with a band frame. <laughs> Naz, look at this little cat with the band frame and he say, what's the matter with you, baby? <laughs> little cat with the band frame, he said, my frame is bad, Naz. <laughs> Since it's been bad from in front. So the Naz 
Look at the little cat with the bent frame And he put the golden eyes of love on this here little kitty And he looked right down into the window of the little cat's soul And he said to the little cat He said, straight in, boom, up with that cat like an arrow And everybody jumping up and down and say, Look what the nice put on that boy <laughs> You dug him before Said, re-dig him now Everybody talking about the Naz, what a great cat he was, how he swung with the glory and love, how he straightened out all the squares, how he stumped into the money changing cord and kicked the short chains all over the place and knocking the corners off the squares. How he put it down with the cat, cat dug it, didn't dig it, put it down twice, dug it, didn't dig it, put it down the third time, dug it, boom, walked away with his eyes bugging around here, bumping into everybody. And they're pulling on the Naz's coattail. They want him to sign the autograph. They want him to do a gig here, do a gig there, play the radio, play the video. He can't make all that jazz. <laughs> Like I explained to you, he's a company kid, he got his own lick. <laughs> but when he know he should go and show and blow, and cannot go, cause he got too much strain on him, straighten out the squares. He sends a couple of these cats to his hip and so came a little 60 cent gig one day, and the Naz was in the bind. And he put it on a couple of bars. I said, boy, take care of that bummer. What you say? Take it off your wig, Naz. We'll cool it. And he started out straightening it out for the Naz. And he got about halfway over to where they're going. And he came to a little old 20 cent pool of water. And he got right in the pool of water with the boat. And all of a sudden, blam, the lightning flashing and the thunder roared. And the boat is going up and down. And he pulled cats, thinking every minute going to be the last. One cat looked up and here come the Naz. <laughs> anyone you see right across the water stomping and there's a little cat on board I think his name is Jude he said hey Naz can I make it out there with you and then Naz say make it Jude <laughs> old Jude went stomping off that boat took four steps dropped his whole cart Naz had to stash him back on <laughs> so Naz say he said, what's he to be trouble here, boys? He said, you hitting on that SOS and bell pretty hard. He said, you gonna bend that bell knocking on it like that. And the cat said, what's he to be trouble? He said, he can't see the storm storming and the lightning flashing and the thunder rolling and the nerves say. People that don't know that means to believe. To say cool is to be to have the sweet fragrance of serenity. Rock your wig. See. So now everybody's talking about the Naz. Who oh, this beautiful swinging man. I was setting the country on fire with great sparks of great love. Like a swinging non-stop satellites going through all the lanes and valleys and, and putting down the scene with such beauty and such power and such charm that they now sparks 75 feet long shooting out of the grapevine and they now got 5,000 of these little cats and kitties in the Naz's hometown where the cat live looking to get straight. Well, he knows he can't straighten them there. It's too small a place to want to hang everybody up. So the Naz backed away a little bit and he look at these cats and the kids and he say, Come on, babies. Let's get on out on the bike. And there went the Naz. 
the five thousand cats and kitties are stomping up a storm. Behind him there's a great love river joy. It's going like a great chain through these gorgeous cats and kitties as they're swinging along and they're beating the ass and the birds are flying along one side and singing love songs to these cats and kitties and it's a great jubilee of love and the nas talking about hopping to the hour, hopping to the flower, hopping to you, hopping to me, hopping to the tree. Nas had them pretty eyes. He wanted everybody to see with the eyes and see how pretty it was and they have such a glorious swinging time that before you know it, they were 42 miles out of town. Ain't nobody got the voice biscuit. <laughs> so the Naz look at them cats and kitties and they say, You hungry, ain't you, babies? And the cats say, Yeah, Naz say we was digging so hard what you're putting down. <laughs> We didn't prepare, say, we goofed. So the Naz say, well, we got to take it easy here. We wouldn't want to go ahead and order up something you might not like, would we? And they said, sweet double hypnosis, you put it down, and we'll pick it up. And the Naz step away a little bit, and he put a glorious sound of love on. He said, oh, sweet swinging flowers of the field. And they said, oh, great non-stop singular sound of beauty. And he said, stomp upon the terror. They did. He said, lift your miracle, the body. The body went up. He said, lift your arm. The arms went up. He said, higher. They went higher. He said, dig infinity. And they dug it. And when he did that, there's a flash of thunder. Look at my hands, a great big stuff, sweet. Swing. Smoked. Fish. And in the other, a long gone crazy loaf of that southern homemade honey tasting sweet bread. Now these pole cats flipped. Niles never did nothing simple. When he laid it, he laid it. When the says, oh, bubble judge, oh, bubble judge, oh, bubble Sweet Well, there you go. The undescribable, indescribable, and of course, the inevitable. <laughs> uh, Lord Buckley, the inimitable Lord Buckley, recorded at the Ivor Theater in Hollywood, uh, February 12th, Lincoln's birthday in 1959 um, performance, and uh, with unknown musicians, but um, we heard uh, three vignettes. Uh, the first one was entitled The Horse's Mouth and about Gully Jimson, the, the chief character in that, uh, in that great book. And uh, then uh, a little bit on Willie the Shake <laughs> and the Mark Antony speech. And then finally, of course, a famous um, bit by Lord Buckley, The Naz. And of course, we all know who The Naz was and is. 
So there you go. Hope you enjoyed the, uh, the vignette. Lord Buckley, as I said, usually only makes an appearance uh, once a year on um, our pre-Christmas show where uh, he does his um, unique version of the story of Scrooge. And, of course, we'll be hearing that uh, down the road. Meanwhile, we hope you enjoyed the little uh, episode. Lord Buckley, of course, was uh, performed and... and uh, played in jazz clubs um, all over the U.S. And, of course, uh, musicians were uh, very close to uh, Lord Buckley. There were a couple of other comedians that uh, jazz musicians related to and and liked. Mort Saul was another one who dealt more with politics. And, of course, Lenny Bruce, who dealt with the manners and morals of um, America. And, um, and Lord Buckley. And these three guys were, were very tight with uh, a lot of the major jazz musicians. All right, Lord Buckley, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we're going to be listening to the music of Charles Mingus at this point. One of my favorite bands, um one of my favorite editions of Mingus's Jazz Workshop. Somehow things um, coalesced a little more in the year 1957 for Mingus. Um, before that time, his bands were always uh, kind of changing. Mingus, of course, was still an underground artist at that time, although he was getting gaining credibility, of course. Um, he had already established himself as one of the major bass players, but um, it was his composing and his music that was still kind of underground. And this band, although it's, it's a quintet with regular instrumentation, was doing something entirely different from any other jazz group um, in its time. And Mingus was able to assemble... Uh, a semi-permanent band in 1957. These guys stayed with him for um, about a year and a half. Basically the same personnel. The only revolving door in this band was the piano chair. Uh, Because piano players generally were busier than other musicians. They had solo gigs. They were hired by singers. Uh, They did all kinds of stuff, um, playing background music and lots of gigs for piano players. And, and so Mingus had a, had a tough time keeping uh, a regular pianist, although he went through a lot. And occasionally he played piano himself. He would simply hire um, a, a good bass player, uh, someone like Henry Grimes or, or um, uh, Herman Wright. Uh, both were students of Mingus at the time. And Mingus himself would, would simply play piano if, if the piece uh, required it. But um, the revolving door of the piano chair was always open in this band, but the horn players were always the same. And they were. Uh, 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 Jimmy Nepper on trombone, a, a gentleman that Mingus really depended on. He was a very well-rounded musician and uh, could write uh, and remember things. Mingus, of course, was just a fountainhead of ideas, and sometimes they would change right on the bandstand, and, and Nepper could adjust to that or simply scribble down what what uh, Mingus wanted the band to do. The other person in the band, and of course Jimmy Nepper was one of the major voices of the trombone, 
the other person in the band is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, several people uh, have told me that I sound like him. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure, but I've always enjoyed his playing, and um, I always really enjoyed this man's playing on alto saxophone. Um, his birth name is Curtis Porter, but he's known as Shafi Hadi. He converted to Islam. And uh, Shafi plays, of course, the alto saxophone on here. And uh, Shafi is kind of a, a, a mystery man. He he came out of uh, an R&B background and uh, basically did all of his recording during his time on the jazz scene with Mingus, although he did one recording for Blue Note uh, in the company of Hank Mobley. That's about the only uh, recording he ever did away from Mingus. All of his recordings were around the Mingus uh, circle. And um, unfortunately, uh, Shafi um, dropped out of the scene in the early 60s, and uh, nobody really knows whether he's uh, alive or dead. He'd be in his 80s now, and uh, nobody really knows what, what happened, although there, he did apparently get into, um, ha- had a few painting exhibits um, briefly in New York City in the late 60s. But that's about the last and uh, he just suddenly just dropped right out. I asked uh, my good friend John Handy, who recorded with Shafi, uh, he really didn't know too much about him either um, and didn't, couldn't really enlighten me, but I love his playing. So, Shafi Hadi on alto saxophone, on piano, a wonderful uh, uh, pianist um, for these recording sessions from Buffalo, New York, uh, the late and wonderful Wade Legg. And uh, unfortunately, he died quite young but uh, a brilliant pianist. And on drums, naturally, Danny Richmond had uh, become part of the jazz workshop. And, of course, Mr. Mingus on bass. We're going to hear three tunes, all recorded in March of 1957. Uh, The first one is um, basically a straight-ahead blues, but Mingus style. And um, it has some different properties in it. And um, this was one of the few straight-ahead blues that Mingus recorded, but it's a Mingus-type blues. It's called Blue C. Of course, it's in the key of C. Um, The next tune is a rather um, um, agitated piece of music uh, called Tonight at Noon. And the third piece of music we're going to hear is a fairly lengthy... uh, piece of music called Passions of a Woman Loved. All three compositions by Charles Mingus. And we begin with Blue Sea. Once again, the personnel, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, Shafi Hadi on alto saxophone, Wade Legg on piano, Charles Mingus on bass, and Danny Richmond on drums. Blue Sea. Thank you. 
Three Pieces by the Charles Mingus Jazz Workshop, recorded in 1957 in March, when um, Mingus was able to assemble basically a permanent band and uh, keep the guys together for quite a long time. About a year and a half this band uh, existed. And as I said, the only revolving door was the uh, was the pianist. But we heard a, an excellent one uh, on this one and three um, very involved pieces. The first, um, all written by Charles Mingus, of course, and the, and the people involved, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, who really gives the the sound of the band, the blend of the trombone and the alto, and, of course, the alto played by the, the fabulous Shafi Hadi. And on piano, the late Wade Legg. On bass, of course, Mr. Mingus. And on drums, Danny Richmond. And the three pieces we heard, we opened with a blues, Mingus style, called Blue Sea. Actually, it was dedicated to, he was still married to Celia at the time. And Sea was there, was her name for short. And so it was actually dedicated to her. But it was also in the key of C as well. And... Uh, the second tune uh, was entitled uh, a little more agitated uh, kind of a piece called Tonight at Noon. And the third piece, uh, again, it was involved and had so many different moods, and it was called Passions of a Woman Loved. All three compositions by Charles Mingus. And as I said before, in 1957, there wasn't any jazz group in the world that was doing stuff like that. And, uh, of course, um, even today, uh, people still may find challenges uh, in, in that music. But um, that particular band, of course, recorded quite a bit in uh, 1957 for different labels. And, and they had that sound. And, as I said, the, the blend of the trombone and saxophone um, really made that uh, band very distinctive. And I know that it was one of Mingus's favorite bands as well. All right, the music of Charles Mingus. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR, FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and uh, up next... We have uh, something a band. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't remember for a moment what I had uh, uh, planned to program for you, but one of the most prestigious events at Corey Weed's cellar was the appearance of the trio led by bassist Christian McBride, and Mr. McBride himself is fantastic enough on the bass, probably the most prominent bassist on the scene today. He's traveling all over the world. And, of course, he, ha- he has different projects, but his, one of his favorite projects is this trio. And um, Mr. McBride, of course, on bass, and my friend Bim on drums, Ulysses Owens Jr., who is just one of the finest drummers on the planet. But the real star of this band and a, a wonderful young man in his early 20s is the pianist Christian Sands. Um, he 
covers everything on the piano. He's absorbed from people like, well, um, uh, the gentleman who's going to be on our jazz feature uh, tonight, Phineas Newborn. He's absorbed from Oscar Peterson. He's absorbed from the a whole history of Art Tatum, uh, Keith Jarrett, you name it. Um, uh, he's taken these influences and, and can play uh, he has the touch and the magic, and uh, he is going to go a long way. And, of course, he's got a great musical attitude as well. The whole band is is quite wonderful, and um, we're going to hear a couple of pieces uh, that was uh, recorded in Paris um, in November of last year at uh, Duc de Lombard. And, uh, again, um, Christian Sands on piano, Ulysses Owens Jr. on drums, Christian McBride, the leader, on bass. We're going to hear two tunes. We're going to hear Ham Hawks and Cabbage um, to open the set, and then we're going to go to their unique version of uh, the great standard Cherokee. And uh, we may have a few words from Mr. McBride after the, um, after the tunes are over. So here, then, is the Christian McBride Trio. Check them out. Thank you. 
Merci. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. It is great to be back here in Gay Paris. <clears throat> we couldn't wait to come back to play for you at this legendary club with such legendary people. Thank you for joining us this evening. And since we've seen you last, we have a new CD. Unfortunately, we do not have the CD here tonight. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. But there's always online. <laughs> uh, but uh, the two songs that you have heard so far come from the CD. The CD is called Out Here. And the first song that we played was a song that this young man and I put together. It's called Ham, Hocks, and Cabbage. I'm glad you understand what that is. <laughs> and the song that we just played, we hope you recognize as the old chestnut of jazz, Cherokee. And yeah, a few words from uh, Christian McBride. Recorded at the Duc de Lombard in Paris, November 22nd, 2013. And this very same band, of course, delivered a monstrous weekend at Corey Weed's cellar um, not that long ago. And uh, Corey said it was one of the highlights of um, all his years at the cellar. And I can understand why. We had, of course, Mr. McBride, Christian McBride on bass, the leader of the band, Ulysses Owens Jr., my buddy Bim on drums. And, of course, the fabulous young pianist, Christian Sands in his early 20s, and uh, what a player. So, of course, you heard Mr. McBride introduce the tunes. Ham, Hawks, and Cabbage was the first one, and, of course, their version of Cherokee was the second tune that they played. So I hope you enjoyed that set. We're going to uh, get into our jazz feature not uh, very long from now, but I would like to um, play something by uh, the great... Uh, Polish trumpeter Tomasz Stanko and his band David Varelis on piano, uh, Thomas Morgan on double, double bass, string bass, and Gerald Cleaver on drums. And this is from a, a wonderful double ECM set called Wislawa. And of course, um, the unique stylings of the great Tomasz Stanko. So here we go with... Um, a composition called Oni. Thank you. 
the always individual styling of trumpeter Tomal Stanko, one of the leading musicians from Poland, and um, he's been on the scene since uh, oh, the late 50s, actually. Tomas is in his 70s, and uh, this is from a, a recent album that he recorded for the uh, ECM label with his band, David Varelis on piano, uh, Thomas Morgan on bass, and Gerald Cleaver on drums. And that was a, a stunk-hole composition entitled Oni, and uh, from this ECM double album called uh, Wislawa. Tomas Stanko. Tomas, yes. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. Our jazz feature will be coming up very shortly, but uh, I have something important to tell you right now. Check it out. Yeah, well, you know, the weather. Something always important in Vancouver is uh, is our weather. It's getting warmer, and uh, unfortunately, tonight is becoming cloudy with a 30% chance of a shower and, a, and some wind. So um, the low is going to be 5. Uh, tomorrow is cloudy with showers off and on during the day. So there may be some sunny periods in there and some clearing and then more showers, etc., etc., with a low of 5 and a high of 9. And Wednesday looks like one word, rain. Low of 6 and a high of 10. Then the two next days look pretty good. Thursday and Friday, a mix of sun and cloud uh, on both days with a low of 3 and a high of 10. Then on Saturday... Uh, cloudy with a 30% chance of a shower. Not that much uh, risk there with a low of 2 and a high of 12. And then on Sunday, once again, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 3 and a high of 13. Spring is right around the corner. All right. <laughs> we hope, we hope. So uh, before we get into our jazz feature and the music of uh, the wonderful uh, Phineas Newborn Jr., um, i just like to... Uh, remind you of a couple of things, including uh, a great website by Brian Nation, which is VancouverJazz.com, and uh, also the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, which is CoastalJazz.ca. Both of these websites are very comprehensive. There's all kinds of little gigs that, that pop up here in Vancouver, uh, restaurant gigs, and of course, uh, regular gigs, um, that are happening at places like the Pat's Pub and, of course, the uh, the great uh, new venue uh, down on 
Comox Street. I erroneously last week said Nelson Street, but uh, it's on Comox Street, 1789. They have jazz there every Tuesday evening, and that is put together by um, Corey Weeds, who's now in New York, but he he has produced this uh, series of um, events there every Tuesday evening at this uh, very comfortable uh, restaurant, and apparently the food is excellent. So... Um, there you go. You'll have a combination of great music and great food. And uh, the Cellar website is still up. You can get on to CellarJazz.com and see the schedule and, and so on. Even though the Cellar is, um, Jazz Club is finito, closed, um, the website is still active. So check that out, CellarJazz.com. And uh, the other two websites I mentioned, Brian Nation's website, Coast, uh, VancouverJazz.com and the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. So that's about it. Um, without going into a whole bunch of details about gigs, you can find all of those gigs on both of those websites that I mentioned. All you have to do is look for the link and uh, away you go and you'll see all the up-to-date uh, um, gigs that are happening. Brian keeps uh, his up to date, and so do the folks at the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And, of course, uh, the folks at the Coastal Jazz and Blues have made some pretty important announcements as to the up-and-coming jazz festival, too. So uh, there's going to be some, uh, uh, although there's a major cancellation this year, Ry Cooter will not be coming, but uh, through a variety of circumstances, I don't know, uh, sad to say his concert's been canceled, but uh, uh, there'll be a replacement, and uh, there's some other concerts that I'll be mentioning very soon and uh, talking about every week to uh, check out and put on your list of must-see concerts. So there you go. One more thing I'd like to mention is my good friend Ken Speller, who is located at 13th and Lonsdale, lives in uh, North Vancouver, and he repairs musical instruments. Uh, he's becoming um, quite well known around the Lower Mainland and uh, Vancouver Island because he's really good at what he does. He's not only an excellent musician himself, so he has that understanding. He plays uh, clarinet, saxophone, um, and uh, a flute and other woodwinds. So he is a, a first-class musician, but he is also a first-class repairman. And if uh, woodwind instruments like clarinets, saxophones, flutes, and so on need um, upkeep, they're, they're not simple instruments, and, and sometimes just a little thing can, can really thwart the whole, the whole thing. A, a busted spring or um, a pad that's loose or leaking uh, can make you sound horrible. And uh, even though you don't, <laughs> these things happen. And, of course, the audience isn't going to understand that. So it, it really is, um, or, or the music teacher, whoever you're playing for, uh, or, or even if you're just playing for yourself, uh, you're going to hate yourself. So the thing is, keep your instrument in good shape. It's like a car. You have to keep uh, upkeep. And Ken is very, very reasonably priced. And uh, he will let you know 
um, the, the quality of your instrument and how to do it and fix it up for you and make it sound as best it possibly can and make you sound as best as you possibly can, whether you're an amateur, professional, or student. So he has a telephone, 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or you can reach him uh, via email, which is kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca, kspeller, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. There you go. Our jazz feature tonight, the genius, and I mean this, the genius of Phineas Newborn, Jr., he was an incredible musician. He was born in, uh, actually in Whiteville, Tennessee, but raised in Memphis, uh, December 14, 1931. He was only 57 when he passed away in May of 1989. And, of course, he, uh, he played with Lionel Hampton, played with Charles Mingus. He and Mingus had a gig in 1958 when Mingus's uh, uh, group wasn't working. Uh, they had a gig in a high-end lounge, just the two of them, and um, it was never recorded. I can't imagine how these two gentlemen sounded. And, of course, the lounge was kind of one of those high-end New York lounges which where the music is kind of in the background, ignored. It was full of business people that are yakking and talking. And, and yet it was one of those places where you could kind of sneak in, get close to the band, and have an evening of incredible music. Can you imagine Charles Mingus and Phineas Newborn playing together? Uh, anyway, unfortunately, that duo was never recorded. There are no rec- nothing um but um, Phineas came to New York uh, under the auspices of Count Basie in about 1956 uh, to great acclaim. And, of course, uh, Phineas had been developed a reputation in the southern states playing with his dad's band all over the place. And, of course, word of his prowess at the piano and his genius at the piano was circulating among musicians. Everybody was talking about it. Finally, um, Basie sponsored him to come to New York and debut at Birdland. And uh, he, then he recorded his first album for Atlantic Records. And um, this sensitive young man, of course, was subject to um, high praise and heavy put-downs as well. Phineas was such a gifted piano player um, and and made it look uh, so easy, and he was a non-dramatic person on the bandstand. He sat ramrod straight, very little facial expression, staring straight ahead, just his powerful hands and arms uh, just pouring out this music. So there wasn't a lot of kind of showmanship and flash there and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And people like to see this, um, and they couldn't get past this. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, musical people, of course, could and heard what was happening. But then uh, some of the critics uh, knocked Phineas and said, oh, he's, he's a cold fish. Uh, he's just all technique, no soul, all this kind of stuff. And then other people praised him to the skies. This sensitive young man took a lot uh, of, of um, this kind of off-and-on criticism. New York began to wear him down. And although he enjoyed his time playing with Mingus, he did also, right after that, did a tour of Europe, um, but decided not to come back to New York, but to move to Los Angeles. And, of course, by that time, uh, his uh, unfortunate, uh, his 
his mental state was was delicate. And Phineas, um, it got worse over the years. And, and, of course, he would be very active, recording, playing beautifully, and then he'd have a breakdown, have to enter hospital and uh, go through therapy or go home to Memphis where he was under the care of his family. Um, this happened over the years and got worse, of course. And uh, sad to say, um, this is one of the reasons why Phineas Newborn is not as well known as he should be. Uh, was because of this inconsistency. Uh, he did uh, appear in the late 60s, did some great recordings, disappeared again, came back in the mid-70s, etc., uh, etc. Et but there was, there was no consistency to his career, and it was rather frustrating, not only for him. Um, and, and people are fickle, and, and uh, that's sad to say what happened to Phineas Newborn, but his touch at the piano and his ability at the piano is unbelievable. He is a true genius. And as I mentioned before at the beginning of the program, if you ever meet Harold Mayburn, who is from Memphis and knows everything about Phineas Newborn, um, introduce yourself and um, then just say two words to Harold Mayburn, Phineas Newborn, and you'll be locked in to an endless conversation with him, all coming from him for about an hour about all the accomplishments and the genius of Phineas Newborn. Most musicians know about this guy, and uh, the world should know about him even more. So we're, we're going to right that wrong, and um, or attempt to, on tonight's uh, program and play you some music by Phineas, a particularly productive recording session which took place in Los Angeles in November of 1961, where he was backed up by none other than Sam Jones on bass and Lewis Hayes on drums. And they were, of course, Cannonball Adderley's rhythm section of the time and two of the best performers, uh, perfect for Phineas. And he explored eight tunes on this um, session. Uh, six of them were jazz classics, jazz originals, and two of his own compositions. And that's what we're going to hear. We're going to begin with a fantastic version of Sonny Rollins' Olio. Then we're going to go into a Horace Silver composition called Juicy Lucy. And then uh, I think my favorite track is the third one. Uh, it was written by bassist Leroy Vinegar for his friend, the late Carl Perkins, who was also a genius at the piano. And um, it was written for Carl right after he passed away. And uh, the tune is called simply For Carl. And um, the tune number four is an up-tempo uh, piece written by an obscure musician named Roland Alexander. And the tune is called Caboo, a very good tune. Then we're going to move to a couple of uh, Phineas Newborn originals. Um, Tune number five is entitled Theme for Basie, dedicated to his mentor, Count Basie. And uh, after that, a, a beautiful, slow piece of music called simply New Blues, written by Phineas. And then we're going to go to a whimsical composition written by, once again, another one by Sonny Rollins. This one is called Way Out West. And the final tune is an incredible version of a tune that uh, Miles Davis put on the jazz map, but it was written by Eddie Cleanhead Vinson, and the tune is called Four, and it's just an amazing version of that tune. So we take you to the studio, 
November 21, 1961, Phineas Newborn Jr. on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Lewis Hayes on drums, our jazz feature this evening. Thank you. 
Piano stylings of the one and only, the late, great Phineas Newborn Jr. And um, as I said before, he was born in Memphis, December 1931, and passed away in May of 1989. Sad to say, he was only 57 years old, and he really deserves worldwide recognition for being one of the great geniuses not only of um, jazz music but of the piano and of course any jazz piano player worth his salt you mentioned the the word Phineas Newborn and they, they look and say oh yeah because he really was and it's too bad that his career was hampered by bouts of um, mental illnesses um, of undiagnosed kind and absences from the scene. So he didn't have a consistent career, and so it was easy for people to sort of say, well, whatever happened to kind of thing, and it was a rather sad end to a, a great, great musician. Anyway, we heard one of his finest recording sessions done in Los Angeles, and he was um, very healthy at this time in 1961 and uh, recorded these eight tunes for um, contemporary records. And... We heard him in stellar company, Sam Jones on bass and Lewis Hayes on drums. And we heard Mr. Newborn um, let loose on a whole bunch of uh, jazz standards, plus a couple of his original compositions as well. So we opened the set with Sonny Rollins' Olio, which was taken at a tempo that uh, I defy anyone to even try and pat their foot to. And uh, the second tune uh, was slowed down and a groovy kind of a thing called, uh, you don't mind the word groovy, it's so old-fashioned, but it works, uh, a tune by Horace Silver called Juicy Lucy. And um, then my favorite track of the whole album was uh, a lament for another great pianist who had passed away, Carl Perkins. And uh, this was written by his friend, bassist Leroy Vinegar, and Phineas picked up the tune and did a definitive version of a tune called simply For Carl. Then um, we heard uh, an original by a rather obscure uh, musician, good composer, a guy by the name of Roland Alexander, and he wrote the tune number four called Caboo. And then we moved to uh, two compositions by Mr. Newborn himself, uh, one called Theme for Basie, which was tune number five, dedicated to his mentor, Count Basie, who actually brought him to New York, and, uh, and then a, a nice, slow, um, kind of a mournful blues called simply New Blues. And then a wistful version of uh, Sonny Rollins composition, the second Sonny Rollins composition of the set, a uh, tune called Way Out West. And the final tune was this finger-busting uh, rendition of a tune that Miles Davis put on the jazz map, 
but it was written by Eddie Cleanhead Vincent, a blues musician, wrote this great tune called Four, and it became a jazz standard. So the genius of Phineas Newborn Jr. I hope you enjoyed the music this evening. We're just about ready to wrap things up and make room for Shay and um, a rather new show on uh, CITR. Next week on the jazz feature, the music of Miles Davis. And it may not be Miles Davis's most important recording, but it's a recording that I grew up with and um, that I had in my collection from the time I was a, a young teenager. And uh, I know every note of the recording. And it's actually, it's a very inspired date. It's kind of an open, jammy kind of a date, but um, very creative as well. And it was recorded in uh, before Miles actually put together his first great working band. And it features Miles Davis and vibraphonist Milt Jackson and company. So we're going to hear that next week on the Jazz Feature. Meanwhile, I'd like to bid you good night. Hope you enjoyed St. Patrick's Day and recovered from that. And we'll see you in seven days' time. On behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, and The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. See you in seven days. Take care. Bye-bye. Do-ba-dee-oo